Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning in the highly coveted and much sought after day after Christmas preaching slot. You know, it's all worth it knowing that most of the other pastors are somewhere having a cup of coffee and racked with envy. But it is good to be with you this morning. I hope Christmas was great for you. I hope you got all the gifts you wanted and had a great time being together with friends and family. Uh, this Christmas season, gift giving for us was a little more of a challenge. As most of you know, we're Clemson fans. And so for the last six years, we have given our adult, young adult children, uh, football tickets, playoff tickets each and every year. Of course, that was not possible this year. Uh, these are actually... Uh, the tickets that we've given for the last six years, they're in my man cave, they're framed, they're actually the most expensive piece of artwork in my house. But we had to uh, figure out how to shop again, and uh, fortunately, we, uh, we pulled it off, and we had a great time, and I think I saved a lot of money in the process. Well, today is kind of this in-between Sunday, in-between two big holidays, Christmas and New Year's. But if we were in the UK, of course, today is a holiday. Uh, today is Boxing Day, as some of you may know. And Boxing Day came about because if you think, uh, maybe think about Downton Abbey, it was the servants had to serve uh, the owners of the estates on Christmas Day and cook for them and all that kind of stuff. So the day after Christmas, is the day that they would get sent home with boxes of leftover food and uh, gifts from uh, the folks they worked for, and that's the day that they would unbox uh, their presents. I actually heard that at the churches, uh, they would put a box out and people would make donations for the benefit of the clergyman. I sort of like that tradition. I wonder if we should start that. Uh, one of the things that I noticed this year when I was shopping, though, was there's so many bundles. You guys know what a bundle is. A bundle is when you want to buy a product, but they put two or three other things with it. And if you want a good deal on the product, you have to buy this whole bundle of stuff. It's a marketing strategy so that uh, they kind of trap you into buying what you want, and then they're able uh, to get rid of inventory that they don't really want. And so what we do then is we buy something we want, but in the process, we get a lot of stuff we don't need. For instance, maybe you want to buy a new flat screen TV, but you know the bundle comes with a bunch of cables, and uh, it comes maybe with a wall mounting bracket that you're never going to use but you go ahead and buy all this stuff anyway. And then you sit down to watch the TV, and of course, that's this famous bundle we all know about. Uh, you want about four or five cable channels, but you have to get 50 or in the bundle, and you have to, and you have to pay for them. So that's, that's how they do it. They trap you into buying things that you don't really need to get the things that you really want. I have a couple of drawers at home that are just filled with old cables and cell phone cases and chargers and stuff that I have no idea what it goes to. And the thing that I really wanted is long gone by now. 
Well, in some ways, I think that's how our lives work these days. We are in a constant search for meaning and purpose and uh, financial stability. And so what we do is we go after that thing, but in the process, we get a bundle of things we don't really want. And sometimes those things are hard to get rid of. For instance, we want that dream job, but then it comes with 80-hour work weeks and no time with our family and stress and bad health. And so we get all these things included with that bundle. So many of the things that we are being sold in our lives have a lot of unintended consequences. Well, fortunately, we don't have to live that way. This morning, I want to talk with you about a different kind of bundle, a bundle that you don't have to buy, a bundle that we receive as a gift that provides all that we really need. Jesus described it this way, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of the Lord. In 2019, we had a chance to visit Israel and uh, be in this spot where Jesus spoke these words. And in fact, Rich recited the entire Sermon on the Mount from memory, which was quite annoying for those of us that can't find our car keys. <laughs> but it was also moving, because as he talked about the birds of the air, you could hear the birds chirping. And you could just imagine what it was like as Jesus used these surroundings to demonstrate his care for us. Those words that were spoken on that hillside in Galilee so long ago seem far removed, but I think they are quite pertinent to our current circumstances because we do a lot of worrying. And if we're honest, it seems like lately there's quite a bit to worry about. It's interesting that the Greek word that's used here for worry doesn't just mean to be concerned, but it means to be distracted, to be divided, and to be pulled apart. 
And as I think about our lives right now, that's a pretty good description. Distracted, divided, and pulled apart. We live in a time of tremendous anxiety. I think the last couple of years, it's just felt like the ground underneath our feet is shifting. And it feels like we're just exhausted by the pandemic. We're concerned about our health. We're concerned about violence in our community. And then it feels like there are powerful media and political forces that are constantly pitting, our, pitting us against one another. It's been a difficult time. And I have this theory that the whole country is suffering from sort of a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Our nerves are just frayed by the anxiety of it all. And many of us have reacted by just getting angry and fighting. And many of us have reacted by sort of quitting. I don't know about you, but the constant arguing, it's just exhausting. Millions of people are leaving their jobs. Millions of people are going into early retirement. They're just, they're just ready to turn the page and take leave of it all. And the church, is, the church is not really immune from that. A large percentage of pastors is considered just walking away from ministry in the last two years. Now, there are many reasons for all this. My personal theory is that we associate the anxiety of these past couple of years with the places where we work or where we go to school or even where we worship. And it, the anxiety builds up, and so we just decide that a change of scenery will make it all go away. So in this reality, we read these words of Jesus telling us not to worry, but to instead seek first the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus was really saying here is that most of our worry is focused on ourselves and that we have misplaced priorities. And so we're caught in this constant cycle of worry and distraction and division. It's the bundle that we've bought into it with our lives, this bundle where our whole life comes down to how can I find a better life? And it's, it's all about me. But he's calling us to a different reality. It's not wrong to care about what we will eat or what we will wear or care about our career or our favorite football team. Those are all things that are part of living a joyful life. But the problem is we make them ultimate things. Instead of seeking his kingdom first, these things become the most important part of our life. N.T. Wright said, put the world first and you will find it gets moth-eaten in your hands. Put God first and you will get the world thrown in. It's a different kind of bundle. It's a bundle of grace. Now I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This is not a prosperity gospel message. I'm not saying to you that if you seek first the kingdom you will get all your financial needs met. You will get everything you want. If you seek first the kingdom, you will become rich. That is not the gospel. That's a scam. 
Notice the text says your heavenly father knows that you need them. Not he knows that you want them. He knows that you need food and clothes and things of this life. And he will give you what you need. In the words of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. You get what you need. Aren't you glad you came to church? Like, where else do you get N.T. Wright and the Rolling Stones all wrapped up together? Jesus is asking us to embrace the bundle of grace, to seek first his kingdom. Make the first thing the first thing. As a young man, Augustine read Cicero, and Cicero talked about the idea of the paradox of why people are unhappy. And he said people seek happiness, but in his words, people are thoroughly wretched. Cicero's remedy was for people to seek fulfillment through philosophical contemplation. And that set Augustine on this journey of trying to figure this out for himself. And what he came to believe was that our problem was we had disordered loves. In some cases, we are in love with the wrong things. And in other cases, we are in love with the right things, but in the wrong order. It's good to love your family and love your children, but disordered love leads to a disordered life. I remember Vic Pence used to say that the, the world that we live in, we used to worship God and love our children and ignore our children. And now we ignore, let me start over. What we used to do is we used to worship God and ignore our children. And now we ignore our, our God and worship our children. I think that's true. Our, our, our lives are disordered. We love good things, but we don't do it in the order that God set about. Next weekend, we'll be starting a new year, and some of us will be making some New Year's resolutions. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Okay, half of you probably. We set some goals like lose 10 pounds or work out some more or uh, just try to do a few things a little bit better. And then we usually do that till about the end of January, and, and then we slip back into our old habits. Those are all fine to do a few things better for a few more weeks. But what if we had kind of a bigger goal for, year, for the year? What if we decided to orient our entire life around this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God? What if we decided to let all of our decisions in 2022 flow from there? Seek first his kingdom, ordering our loves around our love for him first? What if we really made him the overarching priority for our lives? Dallas Willard wrote that being his apprentice is therefore not a matter of special religious activities, but an orientation and quality of my entire existence. This is what is meant by Jesus when he says that those who do not forsake all cannot be his disciple. The emphasis is on all. There must be nothing held of greater value than Jesus and his kingdom. 
He must be clearly seen as the most important thing in human life and being his apprentice as the greatest opportunity any human being has ever had. Well, now that we've sung the carols and we've opened the gifts and we've eaten the food, do we really grasp that we have before us the greatest opportunity that human beings have ever had? We have before us this bundle that is like no other. Seek him first. Make him the main thing. Orient your entire life around him and everything else will be thrown into the bargain. So how do we do that? How do we live a well-ordered life? When Jesus was asked what was most important, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is nothing greater than loving God and in turn, loving your neighbor. So on this Sunday that's sort of in between, I want to make a few practical suggestions on how we might do this. I thought the easiest thing to do would maybe just be share a few things that I'm going to try to do. This is not an exhausted list, just a few suggestions. The first is seek first the kingdom with your calendar. Because what we normally do is seek first all these things, and then if we have any calendar space left over, we seek God. We, f- we fill our calendar with all kinds of stuff before Jesus can even get an appointment. We're sort of like those sports teams that plan their schedule like 10 years in advance. That's why now, that's why this week, is the critical time. This in-between week is a critical time to say, I'm going to make seeking him a priority. I'm going to be here in this sanctuary on Sunday. I'm going to finally take that mission trip. I'm going to go to Rutledge. I'm going to serve a vulnerable child. Now is the time before our calendar is filled. I often hear us say, you'll ask someone about doing something, they'll say, well, I need to see how my calendar is going to look. Well, I can tell you how it's going to look. It's going to look like mine. It's going to look full. Now is the time to set our priorities for the year ahead. So we seek first the kingdom with our calendar, and then we seek first the kingdom with Scripture. As you've heard, if you were here on Christmas Eve or As you heard earlier this morning, this year we're going to be focused on this quest where we're going to dig in to Scripture. We're going to go through the whole story of the Bible in the year. There's going to be 30 minutes of reading a week. There's going to be podcasts. There's going to be a sermon. We're really going to dig in to the Word of God because we believe Paul's admonition. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We live in the age of information and our minds are filled with all kinds of mental clutter and we are being formed by that clutter and we're the worse off for it. 
I have a water bottle that I use when I travel to places where I don't trust the water supply and it has a it has a filter and you take this filter and you put water into the bottle and then you push the filter down through the water and what comes up is this filtered water where all the bacteria and the harmful things that are in the water supply are filtered out and what you're left with is clean water to drink. I think of scripture like that filter. Scripture is the filter for our soul and it filters out all the mental bacteria, all the clutter that fills our lives. It takes away all of the division and the distraction. It gives us the mind of Christ. It'll take away all the disunity. That filter, it it even works on your craziest friend on Facebook. It's amazing. Filter everything you read and hear and think through God's Word. That's how we grow in our relationship with Him. So we seek first the kingdom with your calendar. We seek first the kingdom with Scripture. And finally, we seek first the kingdom with a spiritual friend. When the pandemic began, uh, a friend of mine and I started talking and we started getting together and doing a Bible study on Zoom every week. And we would meet on Zoom for, for months and then uh, we started meeting uh, in person outside and then we started meeting in person inside and we went through Philippians and we went through Ephesians and we went through Galatians and we went through Romans and it felt like Romans was never going to end. And, uh, but it was, it was great and we're still doing it. And it's gotten harder. You know, as we've gotten back in the rhythm, it's gotten harder to find those times, but you have to fight for that. And I need that. I need relationships where I'm not there as sort of the, you know, the Christian professional, but I can be myself with my own questions and my own, my own frustrations. We need authentic spiritual relationships. And I know some of you are struggling to find those. I know some of you are frustrated. I know you've tried and it hasn't worked out, but don't quit. It's worth fighting for. It's worth making the effort. Don't give up. And since we're going through the Bible this year, I just want to encourage you, just find one friend and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read a chapter of the Bible together every week. You don't need a Bible study. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need uh, any professional to handle that for you. You just need to get together with one friend and read God's Word together because when you do, His Spirit will guide you. This morning we were talking about the passing of Desmond Tutu and he had this great word that he used a lot called Mbutu. It's a, it's a Bantu word in Southern Africa. It means people are people through other people. And he wrote, none of us comes into the world fully formed. We would not know how to think or walk or speak or behave as human beings unless we learned it from other human beings. We need other human beings in order to be fully human. We need 
spiritual friendships. And when we have them, God's Spirit will work through that because God's Spirit is still at work in the world in some amazing ways. I hope that you saw the story of the refugee family that we shared on Christmas Eve. I had the opportunity to go out when we shot that video and and be with them for a couple of days and and to sit on their floor and and, and share a meal. And I learned a few things. The first thing I learned is if I'm going to do ministry with refugees, I'm going to have to improve my flexibility because I just can't sit in the floor with my legs crossed very long. But I learned some important things, and the things I learned that were important was as I listened to their stories, I learned the cost that they had paid to seek him first. I heard stories about how they had already had to leave Afghanistan two other times to go to neighboring countries. I learned how much pressure they were under from the government, but also from neighbors and from even family. I learned how many times they had to move and uh, just to be safe. I learned how they had to hold their ser- services in the basement of their house and they would run their generator really loud so that people couldn't hear them singing or praying. You know, in most countries in that part of the world, you have to put your religion on your national identification card. And they decided uh, a few months ago that they were going to be getting new cards and they were going to self-identify as Christians. Now that was a huge risk because that would mean that it would be obvious to anybody that really checked the government records that they were no longer Muslim and it could be a death sentence in Afghanistan. Then only two months after they changed their ID, the Taliban took over. Talk about bad timing. And now their government records would indicate that what they had done would mark them for death. And so they knew that they had to find a way out. This is their national ID card that they showed me when I was there. This card, which had been their, uh, their declaration that they were followers of Jesus and marked them for death, suddenly became part of their miraculous escape because as we were working with them and, and trying to help them find a way out, one of the things they really need was to be able to prove that they were persecuted Christians. And this card helped them do that. This card helped them prove that they were followers of Jesus. You know, they overcame so much. And I thought as I sat on that floor with them, I'm glad they didn't ask me what I have to overcome to seek first his kingdom. Because it would have been hard to say, well, I have to overcome my busyness. I have to overcome the fact that I'm distracted by all kinds of things I'm entertaining myself with. Those are the things that I have to overcome. And this year ahead, I pray that we will not spend our days that way, distracted, divided, that we will seek first his kingdom and that our identity will be found in Christ and nothing else. That we will be able to say no to the clutter of our lives and embrace the bundle 
of grace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the amazing gift that you've given us, a relationship with you, the opportunity to be called your people, the opportunity to come to you in prayer, the opportunity to worship, the opportunity to open your word. And so, Lord, we pray that as in this year ahead, you will help us to take out these distractions, to make you our first priority, and to order our love around our love for you who first loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.